I'm Peter Mudlin, and you are listening to Teacher's Lounge from WNIJ, where this week I'm going to be breaking down and exploring the top education issues of 2021 with English teacher and award-winning chess coach Eric Serwin. Naturally, these lists are always somewhat subjective, so maybe there's some issues that we missed that we didn't talk about that you think are really crucial. And so listen to this episode, and if there are some of those that you think slipped through the cracks for us, well... Email us at teacherslounge at niu.edu and tell us what topics we should be talking about in 2021. And while you're there, do you know any awesome educators? Well, you might know that every single educator that we have on this show is nominated by the people who listen to it. So make sure you give that person a shout out and they could be on the next episode of this show. Teacherslounge at niu.edu. Send your topics. Send those inspirational educators in your life. Now, you might remember that Eric and I did a similar episode in January of 2020 that was the top education issues of 2020. Well, maybe we failed to predict a certain global cataclysm that upended everything we knew about education. Well, that was not our fault. And believe me, we are going to be talking plenty about COVID-19 and how it affects education going on into the next year. We're also going to be looking at the issues that we did talk about in 2020 and breaking down how those shook out. So with all that being said, this is kind of a longer episode of the show, so we're just going to get right to it. With no more further ado, here is my conversation exploring the top education issues of 2021 with Eric Serwin. Eric, again, thanks a ton. We were just mentioning this off air. It's been (laughs) the longest year of all time since the last time that we did this. And again, we're going to joke so much over the next however many minutes about just how wrong we were and but like here's the thing is that we weren't really wrong like the it's not like the topics that we discussed last year were like complete non-issues like there still exists it's just you know we forgot to predict a horrifying global pandemic so i guess that's on us right yeah and it happened so quickly after we did this last time right yeah i know it, it was but it's been less than a year which seems wild too but i right. wanted to at the top, instead of just jumping right into the list that we have for this year and the top education issues we want to look at, I want to look back at the list that we had last year and kind of see how it shook out, see what that list looked like and kind of just reflect on on what it looks like. But first off, I'm curious, just you were just mentioning too, what everything looks like for you and Rockford. You guys are back. You guys are in a blended format. Just tell us, Give us an idea of what it looks like for you as a teacher these days. Okay, so this semester we've been doing a hybrid schedule. So we're basically we have two groups of students. We have our in-person and our remote, and we meet with our students in person on Mondays and Thursdays. And our remote students, we're meeting in class like according to the bell schedule on Tuesdays, Fridays, and then we have like an intervention day on Wednesday to office hours, meetings, all that kind of stuff. And you guys have uh, been on a blended schedule for most of the fall. Correct. Yeah, we did three weeks on an adaptive pause uh, because the COVID numbers were through the roof. And then the big thing in Rockford now is the news is we're going to have a new model, a new schedule, starting with the second semester on February 1st. What's but we don't know what that is yet. We, we have, have no idea. There, suspicion there are like, meetings. <laughs> I'd imagine that it would be, if anything, it has to be more in person, right? Because it seems like that's what the transition, what people is want going. the transition to be, right? Yeah. Um, I can't even begin because in the last, you know, maybe four days, 
I've heard like six or seven different models being tossed around. So I don't know which one we're going to end up with, but hopefully we'll know by the end of the week so that we can plan for two weeks from now. It'd be nice to know what you're doing in two weeks. That feels it helpful. It really would. Yeah, that would be helpful. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. And it's not like COVID cases have significantly gone down either. It's just, no. we're trying to transition and do other, and we're going to, we're going to get into all of this later on. Like, don't even worry about more about COVID and how that's looked over the last year with education, but we've got all this. I was just talking to a, an elementary school principal I had mentioned, and he was telling me about the vaccine plans that they have for their district and that he was expecting that they could start getting first doses for their teachers within the next few weeks. Have you heard anything at RPS? Do you know anything of when you could be in line for that sort of thing? I don't know that RPS has any specific plan, but the Winnebago County Health Department um, put up like a, a form to fill out to register. Yeah. And so I did it immediately. <laughs> like, <laughs> within seconds, I was clicking on my phone, I think with kids in the classroom, like I'm going to register for my vaccine. My county doesn't have one. So I'm in, I'm in DuPage County, like right on the border yeah. of Kane and DuPage County. And I think Kane has one, like I can see it. I can see where that would be. And then <laughs> DuPage County does not have a registration portal yet. So I'm living vicariously through you. Tell me about it. <laughs> nice. I'll let you know when it happens. <laughs> So do you have any idea is it that it could be within the next couple of weeks or is it just you're waiting for that email and then you'll be there? Yeah, I'll just, so after we register, we're on the list and then they'll send us something when we're able to sign up for it. So it sounds like it should be within the next several weeks, Which, but several weeks could be two months, you know. That's that's true. But right. when you do get it, you're going to have to call me and talk about it because I'm living vicariously through everyone that I know that gets the vaccine. It's so exciting. <laughs> Yeah, a friend of mine, actually, he works in uh, at Swedes Hospital, and he just got his second dose. So he is fully vaccinated. I was like, all right, you're just going to be my shield. I'm just going to hold you in front of me everywhere I go. <laughs> I'm excited to even just talk to people about like the feeling of getting it itself, because after this entire year, it has to be like a liberating spiritual experience, right? Yeah, yeah, I would think so. I hope so. Again, let's take a, a little look back at the list we made last year. We kind of separated into more local issues and then more national issues. And we can kind of mix in between those. But the first one that was on our list last year was the Rockford ransomware attack that you guys had and the tech outage, which oh God. the funny part, and I, I think that we had talked about this when you were on our Teacher's Lounge live episode, again, a few months ago, somehow, the, the way the time flies. Right. And we were joking that, you know, in 2019 for you, teaching gets pulled back 20 years. And then in 2020, everything is in the future. You go from nothing online right. to everything online, the digital exactly. whiplash of it all. Yeah, that was, it was man, the, that school year I thought was the worst. <laughs> I thought, well, at least I survived this one. By the time August shows up, COVID's going to be over. Because remember in the summer, we still thought like maybe we'll see the end soon. Right. Um, like, like when school shut down for like the entire term in like March or April, people are like, okay, well, you know, at least we'll be back in at, at the worst, we'll be back in August. Right. Yeah. And turns out like, nope. <laughs> so it, it just feels like that year never ended. So this is lit, like the longest year of my life. <laughs> this has just been school year purgatory. For like, yes. Since... Yes. It's like this, this is my own personal hell, I think. <laughs> <laughs> you and me both and everyone else, I think. <laughs> yeah, definitely. But you, yeah. but you went from in, in this one prolonged, horrible teaching purgatory, you went from 
having to do nothing online to everything online. Tell me about this. What has this been like, that kind of whiplash? Just that, um, you know, so like, at least for the tech outage, like it was stepping back to the early part of my career. So right. I, you know, I was able to do that pretty easily, like transitioning to paper only, like schools are kind of like aged anyway, always everything moves slowly in education. So yeah. it was difficult, especially after having a career of like advancing slowly, but then switching to the online, that was really difficult because the systems just weren't in place. And so what did get put in place right away was kind of haphazard and just definitely not the best. Yeah. The phrase that everyone kept saying last spring, putting the plan together while it's in the air is the phrase. Right. Yeah. That's, that's a good way to do it. (laughs) Um, I, I have little kids. And so like, I think of that one Madagascar where they're flying the, the monkeys are flying the plane. (laughs) (laughs) It really just felt like that. It's, you know, and even now, um, you know, so we've gotten used to doing everything online but I still haven't figured out how to deliver instruction to two different groups of people in two different settings. And, you know, that just the, the basic methodology of like minute by minute in the class right. is still just a mystery to me. Like I figured out the logistics and kind of the back end stuff, you know, posting assignments, grading assignments and all that. But man, the, the art of teaching is just not there right now for me anyway. Yeah. I've definitely heard that from a lot of other people too. Right. And it's, it, does it feel 30%, 50% normal, or is it even approach those numbers? Not even close. <laughs> Not even close. Yeah. Not even close. Cause like, um, you know, as an English teacher, I rely a lot on discussion right. um, and discussion is really hard to do online. So for the virtual students, it's really just incredibly difficult. And then in person, usually the discussion centers around like small groups mm-hmm. It's getting whole class discussion. You get that one kid and that's it. So it's, I always, you know, leverage student small groups for maybe four or five students per group. And I can't do that now. Right. Cause it's so. like, you've got the small in-person groups going on. You've got people like, remotely. Is there like people chiming in via chat box too? Like, how do you keep yeah. that flowing? And I, I guess there is no answer for that. I wish we did know. <laughs> right. And I mean, even we can mention just with ransomware attacks in general too, like this is still a regular thing that happens to schools and obviously way worse during a pandemic because, you know, what do you do (laughs) when you're, the tech gets shut down now? Instead of snow days, we would have, you know, ransomware days. So The second one we had on the list was dealing with Guilford's lack of AC and heat. Yeah, I don't care anymore. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to ask because... Obviously, everyone in the summer with COVID was when we were discussing reopening schools and people were releasing their plans, we're talking about airflow and trying to make sure that was all healthy for being in person. And I was like, if you don't have AC, I'd imagine that makes that a lot more difficult. Yeah, um, the air is pretty dead. There's not a lot of circulation. Um, We raised that with the school board, but, you know, that's, there's not really much you can do. at a moment's notice, you know, even if we wanted to get a better circulation in the buildings, it would take years to get, you know, the money for it and get it done. So, so yeah, would I you mean, say still an issue, but just bigger fish to fry now? Exactly. Yeah. It, it, it moved from the front burner to like the third or fourth back. <laughs> right. Um, luckily it was a, a mild fall. You know, we didn't have any like two hot days where teaching with the mask on and everything, you know, it didn't get too uncomfortable. And in the winter? Uh, it's pretty cold. I come home and my toes are freezing, but, uh, Got a double I don't mind socks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's, you know, I'll deal with it. You know, 
I'm alive and that's really all I want. <laughs> After that, we did uh, trauma-enforced instruction and how it's transformed your teaching style in specific. And we're going to get into this a lot more later on because another thing that uh, for this year was social-emotional learning. And I figure those are kind of one in the same. We could, we could have discussions about both, but tell me a little bit about how that's been for you because obviously 2020 was a year of trauma for every single person, you and everyone in your classes. So how does that impact it? Yeah, uh, the timing was really good actually for that because I came into this school year in August with some of those tools in my head, right? Knowing that students had been through a lot, that there was ongoing trauma happening, you know, family getting sick um, and just the chaos of the summer with all the protests and everything. Uh, and even <laughs> recent protests, like just understanding as a teacher, I have to make space for kids to express whatever they need and being able to connect them to resources and just, just going into my teaching, like understanding that there is someone on the other side of the screen or in the classroom that has things they need to deal with and putting those structures into my classroom to make sure that students feel welcome and feel like they can get the support they need if they need it. I'm sure it's kind of a balance and, and tough to make sure that people know that they have resources available to them without pushing it on them and making it feel like unnatural or clunky or weird to talk about things. Because obviously, you know, at the end of the day, it's like, it's weird for a lot of people just to like, you know, I'm going to talk to the social worker that maybe I've never met before via Zoom about the time right. trouble that I've been having or whatever kind of trauma. So I think it's kind of difficult for school districts to try to deal with that alongside yeah. everything else. Definitely. Now, the other one that we were talking about was the severe teacher shortage in Illinois, which, again, exacerbated by the pandemic, still a major issue. I pulled up, there was a poll in the fall from the Illinois Education Association that said 30% of educators are considering leaving the profession because of safety and stress of COVID. I'm curious, I mean, I'm sure that you have a ton of conversations with your colleagues. Do you get the feeling that like 30% that there is a good portion of teachers that are like stressed out and feeling like they're almost at the point where like, I'm, I almost need to rethink my career at this point. Uh, yeah. I think that 30% is low. Oh, really? <laughs> uh, I would almost say, you know, like there's, there's a third that are probably like actively looking and right. actively trying to leave. Mm -hmm. um, I think a larger percentage of us are at a point where, <sighs> I hear a lot of teachers like we would leave if we could, if there was another option, because, you know, our salaries are not great, but it's really hard to take an entry level position somewhere else and, and still pay the bills, you know? Um, so there's a lot of teachers that just feel locked in and, and stuck. And so that burnout is really high where they're still going to be in teaching. They're not really thinking about leaving, but that burnout is going to be there. So not only are we short teachers, but the ones that are left are just completely wiped out. Right. They're wiped out all the students that they have are completely wiped out from having to try to maneuver all this. In the end, you know, it's, I mean, I, to be honest, actively in the fall before school, um, I was actively applying to a lot of jobs. Didn't get any interviews, but you know, it's, there's, a, everyone's applying for jobs these days. <laughs> right. Where are you at now with that? Are you feeling like you still should be applying for jobs or do you feel like you're kind of settled back in now and locked into it? I keep my eyes and ears open, but I, I'm too busy <laughs> just teaching to even like fill out applications and stuff. Like I feel it's that. a consideration in my head, but always, always, always in the back of my head, I don't know that I could leave the classroom. 
it's too special. There's just no other career that could provide the meaning that I get from teaching. I feel that. And then, but the time portion of it too, like after teaching all day and feeling so burnt out, I'm going to spend an hour trying to write a cover letter for, you know, a job that I might not get an email back about. Like that sounds awful. Exactly. Yeah. So, so I'm in the uh, holding pattern, you know, I'll continue doing my job to the best of my ability, but man, if something pops up, like I will not, not consider it. Right. And you hope that teachers that are considering it or actively giving applications are still able to do their work to the best of their ability. Cause I'm sure that there's some people that just, I don't know. I, I don't want to say that there are people that are checked out, but I'm sure there's people that are burnt out to that point. I'm sure they're there. Um, yeah. I, I would love to be able to say that's not true, but it just is. They have to be there. <laughs> right. And with the shortage itself, we've seen tons and tons of examples and even places like Rockford where because of the pandemic, people are having trouble staffing schools because you've got all these quarantines. One of the big problem areas has been substitute teachers. You know, I talked to some people that have been like district administrators are having to come in and substitute random classes or the regular teachers quarantining at home so they can kind of zoom into their class, but they need an adult there. So like, can we get some cafeteria staff or like a bus worker to come in here just to have an adult in the room? And it's, it's pretty, it's pretty not good kind of dire in some places. Yeah. I actually went through that. Um, right before Thanksgiving break, I was quarantined. Quarantining. Um, yeah. So I was teaching from home and my classes were in the cafeteria with three other classes being supervised by one adult. So your classes were <laughs> was wild. with three other classes, groups, it, three other groups yeah. in a cafeteria. Yeah. So they were, you know, really spread out, you know, but you could see, you know, certain kids that had the camera, you know, angled, right. You could see behind them, like there's other groups of kids and there was, you know, a guy walking around with, you know, attendants trying to get everybody's names. So the amount of teaching that I did was um, minimal, you know, it, so what I, you I tried. <laughs> That was, you know, that's, that's the extent of what I could accomplish was try. Yeah, for sure. And then we only have a couple more that we had from last year. One of them was the war on smartphones in the classroom, which in a way, like the distraction of cell phones and the internet is probably tenfold when you're learning from home. So I'd say that the spirit of what we were talking about last year is still a big issue. And maybe the cell phone itself is still an issue for even in small groups when you're in person, but Tell me, what, what do you think? I think the idea is actually a much larger issue. Cell phones in the classroom, like in-person students, has not been an issue this yeah. year. Like kids just don't take them out, which is weird and fascinating. <laughs> um, but then I've had the opposite problem where students that are learning remotely, you know, will log in to the Google Meet and then they're not actually there. Is it just a Zoom background or something? Or is it just like you can see a blank, uh, like an empty chair? Yeah, well, I just get like an icon. You just get a lot like of them the don't even turn that camera. Oh, like this little avatar, yeah. right? Yeah, and then you know, I know that they're not there because you know I'll call on them and there's just no response. Or you know, if I let students go, like, hey, I'm going to give you five minutes to get started on the homework, you know, and let them go early. Everybody else logs off quick because who wouldn't? But then there's that one kid who's still there, and you're like, hello, are, are you there? Yeah, it's the <laughs> voice so, in the dark, right? Yeah, so like they're they're still finding ways to check out mentally. I mean, as someone that's been working from home for pretty much 10 months now, I completely get it. 
And right. you hope that there are people can, you know, take a walk to clear your mind midday or try to figure out ways to not be distracted when you're doing the work. But like if you're in eighth grade or if you're a sophomore in high school and you've got Correct. everything going on in the world, I don't imagine how you can stay 100% focused at home for four or five hours, whatever it is a day. I don't blame them. And I, I'm not surprised. Yeah, it takes a very special kind of student to uh, be able to pull this off. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, still a problem. I, you know, I don't blame them, but you know, it's there. <laughs> All right. The next one is, and again, there's two more, why there's been a nationwide surge in teacher strikes. And that one is still an issue, mm-hmm. still a thing, but it looks a little bit different. I know that teachers are still making their voices heard, especially when schools aren't providing the kind of COVID safety procedures that they need. And, you know, we just had the Chicago public schools where half of their teachers decided not to come back because they're not happy with the reopening plan. So I think it might look a little bit different about how people are organizing and for what reasons, but definitely still an issue. Yeah. And I'm really curious to see what happens after this is all over. Yeah. Um, Just because the way that we've been treated, you know, really varies from, you know, district to district even, but state to state, um, just to see like how willing some school boards are to put our lives at risk to force whatever agenda they have. And then, you know, especially when we have colleagues in other districts where they said, you know, we're not going to bring you back. You can't come in. We're going to make sure your safety, you know, don't do curriculum for a month. And like the stark contrast, when you start to see like what other people are getting versus what we're getting like everything else it's it's haves and have nots right right and so like to see that stark of a contrast i'm very curious to see you know like two years from now three years from now how that ends up playing out down the road for sure all right last one let's wrap up our look back at last year we did too much last year (laughs) i know we talked about the procession or the uh perception of teaching and education how that's changed i'm really fascinated to get your take on that about how what people think about teachers in 2021 I have no idea. <laughs> I was going to say, is there more appreciation? Like in the spring, remember when people were oh, yeah. clapping for uh, healthcare workers and the giving signs for teachers and stuff? It seemed like that was, we, we took that time to kind of appreciate teachers, but maybe that's worn off by now and everyone wants to reopen. So we can blame you if we need to. Yeah, that that was another whiplash where, you know, in the spring, I saw all kinds of stuff on Facebook and Twitter. We're like, Oh, I didn't know teachers had it this hard, you know, buy them a bottle of wine or something. You were a hero. Yeah. And then by August, it was like, you know, Oh, you're just go back in the classroom regardless and how quickly that changed. But it's kind of died down with everything else going on in the country. Um, Teachers have not been the focus of attention, which is I think a good thing. (laughs) I think so. I think that we've got enough going on. Yeah. Turn the spotlight on someone else for a while. We'll take it. (laughs) All right. Now, before we get into our top education of 2021, which like you said, we cut the list way down. We can dive more into them, but I think we've only got like four four or five this time around. But before we do that, I did want to mention something that you had brought up to me beforehand, which is that you're a chess coach and you've seen a really fascinating chess season play out during the pandemic. Can you talk about that? Because I'm really fascinated to hear about it. Sure. Um, So... (laughs) Um, this is one of those where I kind of have to toot my own horn. Like I'm, I'm, <laughs> Please, I'm the guy. We have a horn. <laughs> and like, I don't think any of the chess coaches in the state would disagree. Like I've, I've become the guy. It's one of those things where chess is, is, is such a close contact kind of a thing. Like you're sitting across a board from someone for an hour or two. Like you can't do that. So um, over the summer, I ended up developing a system 
because there's online chess platforms. So finding a place to play chess online was easy. The problem was the format that we use in IHSA chess is mm -hmm. unique in the world. No one else does an eight board where eight people are playing simultaneously. No one does it like that. So there's not like an online equivalent. Okay. So what I developed was just very, very clunky. I had a, a developer friend of mine like tell me this is really I, it should it shouldn't be this complicated <laughs> but with my limited programming skills i was able to take google sheets uh which is like excel and just yeah. kind of create an online way for coaches to kind of match up their team and like here's my eight here's your eight these two players have to play each other mm -hmm. they go play their game on leechess.org on the online chess platform and then report scores on the sheet and so that has kind of grown and i've spent Oh, I've, I think I've done like seven or eight of them now where on Saturdays I'm running these online tournaments, which I, I ran a lot of in, in-person tournaments, but it's 14 hours. I, I start at five in the morning oh my God. and then I'm, I don't actually finish until like seven and I'm sitting here with like three screens set up. <laughs> Does the chess seem just as competitive, just as fun? It's, uh, it's different. Right. The, the players definitely, it's because it just, when you can play on a board, you can visualize it. Mm -hmm. And you can see, because there's a physical thing in front of you and it triggers different things in the brain. Um, so they're not really playing the best chess they can. Right. But all of them have said, like, it's better that we have something. Yeah. And that was really the impetus for me was this has to happen because these kids, it gives them something to look forward to. For me, it's given me something every week, you know, like, oh, what's the next tournament? I got to get set up for that. I got to get it set up for this. And it's just given us some something positive other than, you know, <laughs> online school. Yeah, no kidding. And so you guys so, have the state tournament that's coming up soon. Yeah, and that's really exciting. So, you know, all these coaches, I get emails all the time, like, thanks for doing this and, and everything. Um, and I, I try and tell them, like, I'm just the right guy at the right place with the right skills. Like, really, it's incredible what the coaches have been able to do for mm -hmm. them to be able to get 30, 40 kids in a practice. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah. The, the Guilford team, we only have 10 or 12 kids. It's pretty easy. One of them is my son. So he's in the house like, hey, get on the computer. <laughs> Um, but some of these teams, like, I don't know how they do it and how they manage these kids. So, you know, what, what I've been able to do is just to support that and, and give them a way to provide this very positive experience for kids. Right. Let's, let's dive into the issues we have. Again, I think that we have five of them and one of them was one that I added on just for posterity's sake, just to cover our, okay. cover ourselves here. I just put the pandemic comma, obviously. Obviously, yeah. everything that goes into it is going to be the biggest issue of 2021 because it was the biggest issue of 2020 and it's still happening. Yeah, definitely. So uh, <laughs> I know I, I was going to say it's just it's it's the obvious things. It's safety protocols. It's vaccine distribution. It's uh, one of the things that I've been seeing over the last couple of weeks has been schools launching their reopening plans and some especially suburban schools that, you know, just quite frankly, have more money are have pretty comprehensive testing yeah. for, for getting back and, you know, students having the option to get tested once a week, twice a week, once every other week, those types of things. And awesome. I don't know what, if any, uh, that looks like in, at RPS, but yeah, like you said, it'd be awesome. And I know that that's not going to happen at every school, not even close. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's been everything. The first, oh God, like the month before school started um, as a union rep, I was dealing with a lot of safety protocols. How do yeah. we keep staffs separated from students? How do we, what happens when somebody tests positive? And it was, it was just bananas. It was, it was like a full-time job before school even started. 
Mm -hmm. uh, the first couple of weeks, that's really all we dealt with. We were trying to teach, but we were very concerned about safety and masks. And, and then once that all kind of settled in, then we're just dealing with how do we teach, you know, in person and remote, uh, just the, the instructional models that we're dealing with. And it'd be really interesting to see as COVID, you know, hopefully knock on wood comes to an end, <laughs> uh, you know, so hopefully like even like next year or if not by next year, but like beyond, you know, what aspects, what did we figure out that we could do differently? And so it'll be really neat to see, can we take the best parts of this and the best parts of what happened, you know, everything prior to this and what new is going to come, you know, that that's the end of the tunnel that keeps me motivated Right, is just wondering, like, this is going to improve education in the long run because it forced innovation that we wouldn't have done otherwise. Yeah. And we're going to talk about this more. Uh, we have a technology-based uh, topic coming up too, and we're going to get into that. But yeah, I think that's a big question, right? You know that there's no way that we can go through this experience and then return exactly to the way things were. That's just, that's not how life works. It's even if you want right. to replicate as right. close as it was, it's just, it's not going to be. And yes. so are there any silver linings? Are there any innovations that we've seen so far that we can take with us after it's over? Is there anything that sticks out to you as a candidate, a possibility for any of those things? Um, the juggling of the schedule, <laughs> yeah. um, trying to figure out, you know, like block schedules to get these different groups in. Like, I think that is the thing that will change. Like, you know, we've built in an intervention day to the system because, you know, five days a week, but we have two groups. So we always end up with like an oddball day and I could see that happening either on a day by day or a weekly basis or something where we just build in like this is a day for students to get extra help, but not take like a bell schedule class. That was another question I had too, where when you do introduce things like remote and especially hybrid schedules that people can come in and out of, is that something that exists into the foreseeable future? Is that just an option that we have is this just going forward? Right. Or even if we, you know, it would like, especially in 2021, why do we not have a remote option for, you know, some of the classes? Uh, you know, why can't we offer an evening class or a night right. class? You know, mm -hmm. um, there's, you know, if, if we're just tied into the the contract between the teachers and the the school board, like that's really limiting what this has forced the option. And like, who's to say that instead of teaching five classes during the day, maybe I teach three in the morning and, and two in the evening. Right. You know, more like a, almost like a college model. I would love to see that happen at the high school level um, in some way, shape or form. Right. So I felt like we needed at the top just to say Definitely. the <laughs> pandemic, COVID-19. Obviously, we know that and we can go deeper into some other things. The first one that I wanted to talk to you with, Eric, is about students falling behind. You would argue that no one is falling behind anything and students are always behind. Can you explain a little bit about what you mean by that? Sure. Um, so the idea that students are falling behind is like almost as if there's some like magical line that students are supposed to get to every year. And maybe in years past, that's the way it was. But I think the way education has gone in the last maybe like 20 years, as long as I've been teaching, it's been moving more progressively towards just uh, skill and growth based. Right. right. Which we had so, these what standardized testing is, I guess, what people think about when they think about measuring people for a certain target. Right. But even as, then, we've seen that so many like you said, however long that even standardized testing is being seen as, as less and less of an actual barometer of how people are improving. Yeah. And it's more about the students that enter my classroom, wherever they are, I want to help them to improve from where they are to some, you know, higher point. So if next year I get students that 
are a little lower than the students that I received this year, like it doesn't really change what I need to do. And it mm -hmm. doesn't really change what they need to do that because they still need to grow. Obviously, we're hitting, you know, we're aiming for certain objectives in every course. But, you know, as a t I, I teach seniors in high school, like, I always have seniors that can barely write sentences that don't, when I ask them, like, how do you define what a paragraph is? Like, they don't really have a good definition of a paragraph in their head. Right. Um, all the way to, like, I've got students that are writing, you know, like they could publish in the New Yorker right now. There's always a huge range. Right. And so that's where, when I hear arguments in the news about, like, students are going to fall behind if they're not in the building or something, it's like, I, I don't think you understand how education works these days. <laughs> like, well, it's interesting. You... behind. And then also, this is global every student is going through this. So are they falling behind which group of peers? Well, and it's interesting you say that too, because I hear this argument, not just from, you know, people in the media or parents who maybe aren't super familiar with how education actually works, but also I hear this from actual school administrators making an argument for why they need to go back in person, right? Is right. remote learning, they're, they're struggling, they're not you know, doing as well as they could be, which obviously we know that in-person is better. Obviously we know that remote learning isn't perfect, but I've heard this from superintendents, like administrators that are making this right. argument, which I think is really interesting within the way that we just framed the question too, which is what, based on what target. Exactly. And so, especially if we have a skill-based curriculum instead of like content, like it no longer, you know, gone are the days where like you have to read Huck Finn and that's part of our curriculum. Like now our curriculum is, you know, write a paragraph, write a sentence. And a good, strong teacher can take any kid from wherever they are and teach them to hit that target. It might take us a month for, with this kid and only a week with that kid. But that's the art and science of education is, is really juggling. How do I take 30 different kids in the room and bring them to this point from no matter where they are? I'm going to co-sign that as someone that had to read Huck Finn two times in school. <laughs> Huck Finn is one of those that I throw out as an example all the time because I, I am supposed to have read it three times, right? Once in high school, twice in college. And I've admitted, I just, I've never read it. I did have to read it once in high school and then I read it again in college. And both times I was confused why it was happening. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but with the students falling behind things too, it kind of reminds me of something that we were saying earlier, which is about the way that things look different in different school districts, right, is that when you're making an argument that because of remote learning is flawed and because students are falling behind, these districts are sometimes willing to potentially put you at risk because they feel like maybe students aren't living up to some kind of standard that we're not even sure what that is. Exactly. Yeah. And that's, and so that's the calculus is like, if you're using that as an argument to make any sort of policy decision, I think you're starting from a flawed position. Right. You know? And so if we just think about like teachers will provide whatever students need to move them as far as they can and start from that point of view, then we can start looking at the other, you know, issues like, you know, what are the risks of bringing kids back? Um, Cause that's frankly just not one of the risks. Right. And if there are students that need more help, it should be the school's job to be able to provide those supports for them. Right. And let's get creative about uh, providing the supports that the students actually need, because just being in a classroom during class isn't necessarily going to solve that problem. Yeah. Next topic we have is authentic tasks slash project-based learning. You're excited about this one, and I'm excited for you to tell me about it, because uh, in my mind, I was thinking about just real world situations, real world problem solving. 
Am I right on that? And what does it look like for you? Yeah, so this is, it's been a big push for a long time in education. Um, in RPS, we're really feeling it with the academies. Mm. And I love talking about it because it's not COVID. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's just, it's the thing that like, we can do no matter what the, the situation is. So yeah, project-based learning, another term is like problem-based learning, but the mm. idea of, you know, in an English classroom, instead of writing an essay on some literary Finn. topic, Huck Finn, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, let's give kids a real task and like maybe like write to your alderman, write to your congressman or write a letter to the editor. Like what kind of writing tasks could someone have? And then RPS, we have these academies. So where freshmen have the freshman academy, but then they decide on if they want to go into, it's like an engineering academy, a business academy. And so within that, if I could get my English classes to be more pure, where I had like all my students were in the business academy, I could teach them how to write like a, a memo. Press release or if or I'm in, like that, right? Yeah. Right. Like, or in engineering, let's like, let's do some technical writing and give them tasks that are more just realistic. Yeah. Because then I think the, the it, it increases that relevancy, right? There's relationships, rigor and relevance. And so if we can make the tasks that we're teaching them relevant to real life, you know, the idea is that the connection will be better for the kid. They'll be more engaged with it. And then they're walking away with a skill that they know they can do and say, like, I can write a letter. I can, you know, I can write a how to do something if I'm in engineering, things like that, you know, and then like reading tasks instead of reading Huck Finn, let's read a uh, instruction manual uh, manual on how to, you know, use the CNC machine. <laughs> yeah. It was reminding me of with social studies, I was actually just talking to uh, Elizabeth Zorn a couple months back, who is a history and you know government teacher at RPA in, in Rockford as well. And we were talking about uh, civil action projects, which are pretty much the same thing, but for social studies, right? It's how do we, right. how do we make actual change and what does that really look like in your community? Right. You know, it was one of those things that when it started coming up a few years ago, I was like, oh, this is going to pass real quick. Like, it's a good thing, but it's, you know, it's education. We're pretty resistant right. to change. And it's, it's the uh, and it's thing that around. people joke about too, right? It, it's the ultimate, uh, I'm a 24-year-old journalist. How many times am I going to use slope intercept form or something like that, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So not to disparage math, but not to, dis- <laughs> not to listen, <laughs> I still know it. I don't know why, but I still know it. <laughs> right. The next one we have on here is social emotional learning and support services. And I would argue with what we talked about before, this is probably the only issue that was on last year's list and this year's list and is right. way more important and has come into you know way clear resolve this year. Definitely. So I think the change is that it's moving from a supportive thing where like when kids need support, let's send them to a social worker. And now it's, it's starting to move into the classroom where you know, we're being asked to incorporate social emotional learning into either like units um, or just like our daily routine where maybe we check in with students at the beginning of the day, um, you know, even actually like teaching lessons on how to do, you know, how to behave, how to control anger. I was thinking about this. I don't know if you know about character counts. I'm familiar with it. Yeah. Yeah. So that was something God, like 15 years ago. Yeah. I remember. Um, and some districts are still using it as like curriculum. So it's, it's that kind of thing, but it's, it's developing now. It's becoming a more integrated part of the, the daily classroom experience. And you've had some, I'd imagine, you know, you've had some professional development, some ways to, you know, think about this and learn about social emotional learning. Do you feel like at large that most of the people that you work with, you know, at least just from what your context, that most teachers 
feel comfortable and like feel capable bringing <laughs> things like social emotional learning into into their classroom? I would love to say yes. But <laughs> well, I mean, like, in I fairness, it's, it's it just is awkward. really hard it it is. Is to do that organically. Yeah, and it really is. And I'm like, I know I'm a teacher, but, but like, I'm not, I'm just really not good with people and, and their emotions. <laughs> you know, I'm a chess player. I'm a rocketeer. Like, I'm very systems oriented, very introverted personally. So doing this kind of stuff is out of my comfort zone. So the more professional development I get on it, the better I'm getting at it. Right. Um, and, and colleagues I, feel the same way. We, we have an objective we're trying to teach and thinking about the whole person is not how we were trained. So, you know, us old curmudgeons, <laughs> we're coming along. Um, but what the really good part is um, a lot of the newer teachers have already been trained in this and these uh, teacher programs as they're going through college. So it's nice to see them coming in and they really have a lot more energy for it. And it's just part of what they do. I actually recently, we ran a story where we had gotten a bunch of student survey results back from a school district that asked that question to high school students that were like, hey, we're trying to do these social emotional lessons. How can we make it better? How are you enjoying it? That sort of thing. And a lot of them were like, listen, these are good questions to ask, but I do not want to talk about it with you right yes. now. It's really weird to talk about it with you and all these other people in some kind of Google Meet video. Right. Yeah, we did a similar survey right before winter break just to gauge, hopefully to come up with a better schedule, but you know, some of those questions. And we did get feedback from kids anonymously, just like these, these SEL lessons are for the birds, you know, like, please stop <laughs> yeah, doing that's, these. That's pretty much the same thing. And it's, it's funny, though, too, because they're like, at the same time, they're like, hey, I know things are bad. Like, I know we need things like that. And I appreciate that you're thinking of us. But like, come on. Right. Yeah. And they're, you know, they're teenagers. When yeah. I was a teenager, the closest I got to talking about my emotions was like punching my buddy when we're watching Family Guy. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and some oh. things still work, you know, sometimes. <laughs> yeah, it's just how I do it now. <laughs> the last one we have on here, which again, we really did cut down that list, thank God, <laughs> yeah. is uh, the digital divide and the balance of tech in the classroom. I just kind of wanted to make the last one just technology in itself. And we did bring up a little bit about what is it going to look like after the pandemic? How much of this flexibility that technology offers is going to stick around? I don't know, but I had another statistic for you. Up to 30% of school-age children, as many as 16 million American kids, lacked internet access or laptops for online learning. And that was from Common Sense Media and the Boston Consulting Group. That was a survey near the beginning of the pandemic, like April or so. So if we're just talking technology and the digital divide as, as people call it. We know that hopefully some of that stuff has gotten better as schools, you know, try to bring Chromebooks and hotspots to people, but still a big issue. I was just listening to something. I don't know if it was your last interview, maybe, um, but somebody <laughs> was talking about their school had turned on, had turned up and beefed up their Wi-Fi at the edges of the building so that parents could like sit in the parking lot um, with their kids. And, and this was an elementary school principal. I don't know what I was listening to. But, I wish it was me. That, that would be good. <laughs> <laughs> but that, I mean, like that blew me away. And, and just the thought of a parent taking a kindergartner to sit and do lessons in a car, because that's the best Wi-Fi you can get like that. Okay, you're, you've accessed the internet, but that's not equitable in any way, shape or form. I mean, I am really curious about how technology fundamentally changes the classroom going forward. And I, I'm really fascinated to see what exactly do we lean after the pandemic when we can all be in person, do we lean more towards paper and pencil the way things were, or 
it's a complicated question because the world is just you know all tech now right right um and especially after this like you know how many businesses are going to go back to having paper where maybe they've learned how to do without now finally yeah you know, and how many people are... keep working from home too right yeah. and that's oof, fast <laughs> I, I did that for two weeks. I don't want to have to do it again. <laughs> but um, but as an educator, like I know all the all the science behind just the neurobiology of, you know, like even taking notes on paper versus taking notes on a computer. You know, every study has shown when you take notes on a computer, you're just trying to record what the lecturer is saying. Whereas when you write, you can't write that fast. So you have to process and you have to pull out what's important and you have to group ideas together and there's just a different brain process in in writing things down which is beneficial to learning and, and, and educational development right so on the one hand do i want to use paper and pencil and books for the the kind of biological training that it does for the brain versus do i want to prepare students for the adult world where everything is going to be done on a screen or through a computer and so trying to like keep that balance going you know, I, I'm looking ahead and, and I don't know how I'm going to meet that balance. <laughs> There's just no way that we move further towards pencil and paper and away from technology. I feel like like the steps that we've taken and the flexibility that this stuff offers, there's just no way we can come back from it now. And it's going to look different. Right. It's going to look different depending on the grade level. Like obviously with super young yes. kids, I think we're going to be like, let's move them away from the screens a little bit more if we have right. to, because I've heard plenty about what a kindergarten Zoom class looks like. And that's a nightmare. We definitely right. don't want that. But right. oh, God. For, for God high bless school those age, teachers. Yeah, I know. Good Lord. For high school teachers, I would imagine that it's, it's, it's going to be stepping more towards for the most part at least it's, it's going to be utilizing that tech as much as they possibly can absolutely and like i know for for me um i'll still want to use paper and pencil um i just i believe in you know in the science that and what it tells me about how people learn um but you know maybe i'll do like major assessments online and make sure that they understand how to how to use that tech but you know maybe like for speeches that's a big thing actually for english 12 when i do um speaking and, you know, it, it's so clunky doing speeches, speech instruction in a class, because no matter what, you have to set aside blocks of time for kids to give speeches. Now, why, why can't they learn how to, you know, make a video? You know, right. how many videos we've all learned, we've all had to learn how to make how-to videos and things and, and put all that together. So like, that's a skill that, you know, going back to that, like problem project-based learning, like you're going to have to learn how to make videos someday. Uh, this is a great way to practice that. So incorporating technology in the right ways. Um, I'd like to just make sure that we do it consciously and methodically. I don't want to just do do tech because it's there, you know? Right. You still want to be purposeful with it. Yeah. That's the word purposeful. Yeah. All right, Eric. Well, I think we got through everything. We did it. And I think if there's one, if there's one silver lining to all this is that there's just no way that we can be as wrong this year <laughs> as we were yeah. last year. Oh, and don't also, say that. Oh, knock God. on wood, knock on wood. I, <laughs> there's a chance that we could believe me, who knows what could happen after the last week that we've had in this country. Yes. Oh, so hopefully we aren't as wrong as right. we were last year. And yeah. I, again, even if we are wrong, the issues that we talked about last year and this year are not going away. I don't see any of these disappearing in the next 12 months. So I hope that we can we can do this again next year and maybe yeah, we'll definitely. be a little more spot on. Yeah, let's. Uh, one of these days we'll get it right. <laughs> one of these days we'll get it right. And like you said, hopefully 2022 or 2022 at that, at that point will be, you know, that'll be the year where just nothing happens. 
Yeah. And I tell you what, that's, I have never been a touchy feely. Like I'm not a hugger. I think when I can have my students back and I can touch them, I'll be like, anybody want a hug? Just come, just like be here. Let's all, you know, group hug. I don't know, something. I just, I miss seeing all my students together. That's, I miss it terribly. Thanks so much for listening. And as always, feel free to nominate a teacher in your life to be on our show. It's how we find all of our guests. And wherever you're hearing the podcast, subscribe, leave us a rating, share it, whatever you can do. It helps us find more perspectives to have on the show. Thanks to the Northern Illinois band Kind Ups for the awesome music you hear in our show. Shout out to Spencer Tripp for the Teacher's Lounge logo. I've been your host, Peter Medlin. We'll be back with more Teacher's Lounge very soon. See ya.